0: Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with HowStuffWorks and I love all things tech. And it's time for another Friday classic episode of Tech Stuff. This episode is the first interview we ever did for Tech Stuff. Chris Paulette and I got the opportunity to speak with Mr. Bernie Burns of Rooster Teeth Productions. And uh, I had been a huge fan of Rooster Teeth leading up to this interview, so my objectivity was probably at an all-time low. But I thought it would be nice to revisit this classic episode, give you guys a chance to hear it in case you had not heard it back then, and I'll have more to say about it toward the end. But for now, enjoy. So guys, this is a very special episode of Tech Stuff, something that we hope to do more of in the future. We've got a special interview lined up with Mr. Bernie Burns of Rooster Teeth Productions. They are the company that make Red versus Blue. So we've got the interview ready to go, and we're going to insert it right here. We've got Bernie Burns on the line. Bernie is the founder of Rooster Teeth Productions, the uh, producers of the popular web series Red vs. Blue, among other things. Bernie, how are you?
1: I'm doing fine, Jonathan. How are you doing?
0: I am uh, I'm okay. Chris, how are you doing? Great. Thanks right. for asking. You're welcome, Chris. <laughs> I don't want you to be left out. Uh, so, Bernie, I wanted to talk to you really you're a pioneer in web content, especially when it comes to web videos and something beyond just the the one-hit wonder web videos that, that were sort of the, the, the earmark of internet video when it first started to take off. And I kind of wanted to talk to you about how you got into that and the development of Rooster Teeth Productions over time and where you're at today. So to start... Uh, You were actually involved in creating content for the web before there was even a rooster teeth, right?
1: That's right. I mean, really back before video was even really possible on the internet, um, I mean, you could download a, I think one of the first things video-wise I ever downloaded from the net was the first episode of South Park, or what became South Park, and that was a 10 minute short that I think was 180 megs, and it was the size of a postage stamp. On the screen, but um, yeah, I started off writing for video game sites. I started writing off uh, for writing for what were called everything nothing sites, where they were sort of like blogs, but they were more articles. You know, I, uh, modern day equivalent would be almost like Slate or The Escapist, where they're articles that are kind of thematic, but they could really be about anything.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what led you into starting the the whole red versus blue video phenomenon?
1: Well, I was a filmmaker, uh, and I, I live in Austin, Texas. And so in college, I built a nonlinear editor, a video capture device that could capture, uh, back then it was VHS tapes. So we transfer film to VHS, and then we would capture the VHS and edit it online. So then after making a couple movies with some friends in Austin, uh, they moved out to L.A. to start their entertainment careers. I stayed in Austin because I had a very good tech job, and I was always just trying to find ways to make... Uh, you know, films or make short little videos, and I had all this equipment laying around, and I thought, well, why don't I just take some of these videos I'm producing and start putting them online, figure out a way to do that, and so started encoding them in QuickTime and DivX back then, mm-hmm. and uh, would just upload them to a site, and um, did a few of those before I made the first episode of Red vs. Blue, and that immediately caught on.
0: So... For, for our listeners who may not be familiar with Red vs. Blue, can you, can you give sort of a, a, a bird's-eye view of what the series is and, and uh, you know, the, the vehicle you use to create the series?
1: Sure. So what we do in a nutshell uh, is we use uh, the video game Halo uh, to pr- produce short, comedic cartoons, essentially. Um, and we use the, the graphics engine that's in Halo to do all of our animation, and probably the best way to describe it for something for someone who's never seen anything like it before, it's almost like using the video game characters as virtual puppets. Um, you know, we're not doing animation cell by cell or, you know, sitting down and plotting all the character moves. We're actually controlling them in real time. So it's a little bit like animation and it's a little bit like live action shooting in that we do takes, we do rehearsals. And the performance that you're seeing is actually a recorded live performance by someone controlling the character in real time.
0: That's, that's really a, a, a very clever way of creating films. And, of course, uh, we now call this machinima. But back then, that term probably wasn't very much in use at the time you guys were first getting into Red versus Blue, right?
1: Yeah, it's funny. We didn't know what it was called. We didn't know this was a, the movement that people were doing this kind of thing. So we thought we were brilliant and we had invented this new technique of shooting. And uh, we were actually wondering what we were going to call it. And uh, we uh, we got a phone call from uh, Paul Marino, uh, who was the, the head of the Academy of Machinima Arts and Sciences in New York. And, you know, they said they wanted us to come out and do a presentation about Red vs. Blue. And um, there was an award ceremony that they, we had been nominated for. And um, yeah, that's how we first found out about the word machinima.
0: Yeah, so and you said that you you were, you, it took off almost immediately. Was that like from episode one? You immediately saw a, a a real interest in this, or did it take a few before it started looking like you really had a hit on your hands?
1: No, it was pretty immediate. Uh, we put up the we put up the first episode, and we along with it we put up a, a PSA, which was just a, the characters looking into the screen and talking, and um, uh, we were doing jokes about it. It, was, it. was so long ago. It was Weapons of Mass Destruction. Uh, this was back in 2003. Very, very timely at the time. It was very, very topical. Um, and uh, we were linked. The first episode of the series was linked on FARC and Slashdot and Penny Arcade. And so it went from 3,000 views the first day that we put up the the, the episode to the next day, we had about fifteen thousand views on it. By the time we put out the second video, a quarter of a million people showed up the day, the first day, to watch the second video. And <laughs> by yeah, by the end of the month, we were up to about seven hundred and fifty thousand viewers a week uh, within within four weeks. That's that's meteoric. <laughs> it was it was it was the, the biggest problem for us was figuring out how to get it out there.
0: Yeah, the bandwidth issues.
1: Yeah. I mean, we were, we were paying tons of money to deliver it because I mean, I'm sure you remember back in the day, people would get bandwidth bills mm-hmm. when they would put up, you know, things on servers and they'd get a popular site. Um, and so we were trying to figure out how to host what were at the time pretty massive files. I mean, these were, you know, 70 megabyte files people were downloading in, you know, 2002, 2003. It was, it was hard to figure out how to serve all that. And YouTube didn't exist at the time. So we couldn't just throw it up on YouTube and hope for the best. You know, I have a, I have a question um, about what, what's your recording schedule look like? I mean, how many of these, uh, how fast can you do one of these videos and, and about how long does it take to, uh, you know, from beginning to end when you're talking about scripting and, and going through rehearsals and things like that, how long does that take? Well, we're a lot faster than we used to be just because we've been doing it for nine seasons now. Actually, we're just going into season 10 right now. But if you look at like a Pixar movie and the machinima, what we produce is not on the fidelity of a a Pixar movie. We do more custom animation now, but um, the big thing about Machinima is how efficient it is. So Mm -hmm. a Pixar movie might take a team of three to 500 people uh, the course of three years. Um, We can produce five minutes a week with about... This is now just neglecting voice actors who you have to have a different actor for every character, but we can produce five minutes a week with about three people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that'll take us about, you know, 30 to 40 hours to do that. So every year uh, we put out a, a, a full feature on DVD uh, and we could do that with a production crew of anywhere between you know three to five people cool now now that in later seasons we've been adding more custom animation just mm-hmm. because the cinema got more popular uh, we found we had to do more to stand out and you know and like anything it's like if it stays the same it'll it'll get stale so we had to kind of uh, evolve the series while it was in place and so now we have a much bigger team now we have a team of about 20 people that work on it uh, and they do a lot of custom animations, some really fun action scenes, fighting scenes, that kind of thing.
0: So when you guys were first exploring motion capture, uh, when did you guys actually sit down and consciously make that decision and and was that a huge challenge? Was it that or what was it surprisingly easy compared to everything else you had been doing?
1: well, we we made one hire that made it a lot easier and that was Monty ohm. Uh, I'm a big, consumer of all things internet as well so I'm always online always like looking at you know online video I just I love it and um, it's it's fun to spot people who are doing cool new stuff and Monty ohm put up a video uh, where he custom animated uh, master chief from Halo fighting samus from Metroid and it was the models were okay mm-hmm. and the texts were okay but the animation was outrageously sophisticated and the choreography of what he was doing. And so we contacted him, and we tried to work with him for like two or three years before we were finally able to hire him. And uh, that was in season eight. And so we essentially built uh, an animation pipeline that's, it's, he's the centerpiece of it, and we built it around him, essentially. Cool.
0: Well, jumping back again, back to the early days, about how long did it did it take before you realized that you actually had a, a viable company on your hands? I mean, the, the show was a hit. But there, there's a big difference between something that ends up getting really viral on the Internet and then turning that into something that can actually sustain itself as a business. Did that happen right away as well?
1: Well, I mean, it, it, it came in the sense that we all of a sudden had these major expenses for serving. <laughs> <our> expenses.
0: <laughs> That's, what a great way to start a business.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> then, well, if, you know, if there's a massive expense side to this, then there, there, there theoretically should be some kind of revenue. Uh, yes. stream, help service that. I mean, there's there's obviously a demand for this, so uh, if you sit still, the demand will generate bills. Uh, we kind of have to get a little proactive here and figure out a way to generate some revenue from it. And, um, you know, I think there's a big opinion uh, that a common opinion, I should say, that if you make something on the internet and you get a ton of views, you um, that the ad companies just show up like the ad truck shows up in your driveway, it it doesn't work that way. Uh, getting advertisers for content is very hard, and it's always been hard. It was never it was never easy to do it on the internet. Um, and there's a lot of places that will abstract that for you now. A lot of a lot of video services that will do that for you, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a very difficult process. And so we had to go through and figure out a way to build a business model. Um, we actually built one that was based not on advertising, and we ran on that for five years. Um, we just did merchandise, um, premium memberships, and DVD sales, and that's how we funded the company for the first five years. We never we never ran a single ad on anything uh, for the first run of the show.
0: Yeah, that actually brings me to the question about the sponsorship, the premium memberships that you yep. ran. I, I, I've been a fan of Red vs. Blue since season one. Uh, oh wow. I have been following it since season 1. And so, uh, I'm familiar with the idea of you became a premium member and you would get access to certain videos. Sometimes you get access early, sometimes you get exclusive access. And also, for the first few seasons, I remember you would even get the DVD at the end of the season when yeah, you were a premium member. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so clearly building a community was an important part of your business model as well.
1: Right, and we built a community site, too, the, that we knew that uh, eventually the popularity of the show would wane or, at the very least, that people watching the show, you know, the individuals would, you know, say, well, I can't watch something for, you know, 10 years. Um, you know, people just naturally fall out. And so we wanted to have something in place to hold people uh, as like a, uh, our portion of the internet so that people would always know where they could find us. And when we put new things out, it'd be great to be able to show it to people to get that initial seed of a, of a new project. And that's, that was probably one of the smartest things we did uh, was making sure that we carved out our own portion of the internet.
0: Yeah, uh, it's, it's still a very popular portal. I mean, if people want to go and check out uh, the, the... You have several different URLs that all lead into this kind of uh, uh, hub Really, of all the different products Rooster Teeth does, because it's not just Red versus Blue. Although we'll get into that in a little bit, uh, I did have another question about the tone of Red versus Blue. In the early seasons, the the Blood Gulch Chronicles, in particular, which is the first five seasons of Red versus Blue, uh, it was uh, it was almost exclusively comedic. And then you began to experiment by inserting some more dramatic elements into the storyline, sometimes with uh, uh, tertiary characters who were not playing directly with your main cast. At what time? At what point did you decide to do that? Was that something you had wanted to do from the beginning, or as you were going, were you thinking, "Hey, you know what? We could actually try something new here and try and do uh, almost like an action movie type script, parallel to the comedic stuff we're doing on this other side."
1: Yeah, so it was essentially when it first started. Uh, essentially, like somebody described it as stripes in space, which I think is a great way to describe it. It's, it's just, it's um, very lighthearted. It's a it's a military comedy which which focuses on a lot of bureaucracy humor, which I think crosses over a lot of industries, not just you know the military, but also business and school and everything else. Um, I was always as a, as a writer, I was always writing the background threads so that the story could stay consistent. If you base it in a universe, you know, then it seems more honest. And I was doing all of that. And when we got towards the end of the fifth season, um, I, I was talking with people about stories in the background that were going that audience members had picked up on. But I, I had this whole fleshed out uh, universe kind of behind the scenes. And I was talking with somebody here about it. And I, I described it all I was writing on the, on the whiteboard about all these things. And they said, maybe you should show this to the audience. You know, I mean, maybe you should, maybe you should put this out there. And I thought, yeah, maybe, we, maybe you know, maybe we should. It's 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 interesting to us, and you know, our philosophy here is, um, if we make things that we like, we just have faith that there's enough people on the internet that are like us that they'll like it too. So, yeah, it's just a natural evolution. Like I said, if you know, we started off the very first episode of the very first season saying all these guys do is stand around and talk. That's what they were doing last week. That's what they'll be doing five minutes from now. And for five seasons, you know, it's, it works very well standing around and talking. But it—you really do run the risk of becoming stale. Five years on the internet is is like a—it's like a glacier. You know, it's it's like a an eon. It seems like. Um, yeah, that's, so, that's the rise and fall of MySpace. Yeah, yeah, and you know, we talk about that too. Like the when I was talking earlier about the carving out your own space on the internet, it's like a lot of people today. You know they don't do that. There's a big opinion that the um, the web is dead, and that you should just go all in on Facebook or all in on YouTube or what you know whatever the darling uh, site of the moment happens to be. But I mean, we've been doing this for so long. I remember when if we just spent all of our time building up our Facebook or excuse me our MySpace friends in 2003 and 2004, we would. Oh, I think we might. You know, um, or, you know we're dealing with Rever or something like that. You know, it's just it's 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 twitter's twitter follower counts and you know facebook likes seem very important right now but 5 years from now they probably won't seem all that important
0: right right yeah the biggest shifts that i see right now are really more platform shifts so it's more like the the emphasis now is on mobile as opposed to the desktop and laptop models which that makes more sense i mean that's an access thing not a not a you know this is the particular website that's in vogue right now
1: right well no, I yeah.
0: Oh, no, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, it's crazy. It's crazy how much mobile has taken off. I mean, it's just, it's just insane.
0: Yes. Yeah. We, we talk about that all the time here at How Stuff Works as well. I mean, it's, it's completely changed uh, the way that we create certain types of content because there are some kinds that are perfect for the mobile platform and that's just people love them. There are other types that just don't quite fit as well. It's a real challenge to try and find. The balance there. Uh, fortunately, I think web video is one of those that it transcends the platform. You don't have uh, you don't have to worry about that as much. Um, let me ask you also about some of the tricks you guys did working within the the confines of a video game uh, universe, and uh, actually within the actual physics engine of the video game itself uh, watching some of the behind the scenes stuff. I love the idea that you guys got really creative with the ways you shot the, uh, the series especially early on when there weren't as many tools for you to use. Tools that I think have been built into games like Halo because of the work you've done. When they didn't exist back then you found really creative ways of getting around it. The one I think of off the top of my head is using a tank as a crane for crane shots. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. I mean, that just goes back to how it's a lot like live action. It's like, we wanted to get a shot where we raised up. How do we do How do we do we that? Um, there wasn't any ability within the retail game to raise the camera above eye level. I mean, the entire first three seasons of the show, you're seeing the entire show through another character's eyes that never appear on screen. It's, it's literally a cameraman. Um, and so we would walk him around in order to set up shots and, and to be the camera. And so... We thought, well, how can we do this? And I thought, well, why don't we just put him on the end of the barrel of the tank and just slowly raise the tank barrel up, and sure enough, that allowed us to get a crane shot uh, with it. <laughs> Likewise, we would put people on the tops of Banshees and fly them around if we wanted to get a, a really high view of the canyon uh, or something like that. Yeah, we had to be really creative. Um, in a later season, one of the things, we, we would also just employ, like, some of the oldest tricks that there are in filmmaking. Um We had a character, uh, a baby alien, so we needed a small alien. Well, you can't shrink a character in the game, so we would just do forced perspective, where we would set the alien far back in the shot, and because there's no depth of field in the game, it's an infinite focus. um, We would just set up the scene so that one character is really far away, and they just happen to look a lot smaller, and it worked perfectly. I mean, the illusion was great. It's you know, just like old things they used to do back in the days when they would you know shoot King Kong and voyage to the moon.
0: I imagine getting eye lines in this series is a bit of a challenge.
1: It, it definitely is. I mean, there's nothing in the game where it's like everyone looks in the same direction, you know. And so we're we're probably the best people in the world at playing Halo in a very specific way. Like, <laughs> if, you ever, if you ever put us in a matchmaking game where all the players on the team have to look in the same direction or all run in the same line while looking at their feet, we would we would— Kill
0: at that. So, yeah, yeah, if we ever create a Days of Our Lives game within Halo, you guys will rock it.
1: Yes, we would be the dramatic reaction team.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about some of the other content that Rooster Teeth produces. I mean, Red vs. Blue is probably what got you guys on the map for most people. But you do a lot of other... Things as well, including some live action stuff. When did you guys decide to start producing live action shorts?
1: Well, that's our that's our background is live action, and I mean when we start off like I made a feature film in college. I was a computer science student, but I wanted to learn how to uh, make films because mm-hmm. I switched from pre med to computer science, and surprisingly, not a lot of stuff transferred. So I had a bunch <laughs> of I have like organic chemistry as a uh, as an elective on my transcript. Um, and so I had a bunch of hours on campus where I was trying to kill time, and I found the, the student-run TV station down there, TSTV, and started meeting film students and, and wanting to get involved in video editing and film production. But I did not want to go and sit through um, film classes. So I thought, you know what? Robert Rodriguez just made El Mariachi at UT. I went to the University of Texas. He made El Mariachi just a few years ago. There was this idea that you could just make an independent movie and set the world on fire. So I thought, why don't I just make a feature film of, you know, spend $10,000 doing that as opposed to spending it in a classroom, and then I'll probably know everything I need to know about filmmaking by the time it's over. Well, that took about 18 months to get that done. <laughs> we, you know, we, we actually did shoot a, a feature on film on 16-millimeter mm film. That was a long process, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's just how I got involved with it, and I— uh, um, you know, it was it worked out pretty well. I mean, you know, I own a production company, and I don't have a degree in in any kind of entertainment. I I have a computer science degree that just hangs on my wall, and I never use. Chris and
0: I have more to say with Mr. Burning Burns of Rooster Teeth, but before we do, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. So, who are the writers on your on your staff? I know you write Red versus Blue, right?
1: Yes, that's right. Uh, I write Red versus Blue. Uh, and, you know, the actors add a ton. They, when they get in the booth, uh, all the actors know their characters so well now that they, you know, uh, sometimes they'll just, like, have blanks that they can fill in for ad libs, you know, where, where they add a lot in as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have a team of writers upstairs um, that work on our uh, shorts. And it's that's a, that's a very collaborative effort. Um, they have a whole team, like a writing room, where they go in and pitch ideas. And then they take them away and then come back with scripts and trade them off and do drafts. It's a it's a very fun process.
0: Cool. Well, and yeah, we're f- pretty familiar with the writing process around here too. It's not not this similar, uh, although we of course write articles and not uh, not not scripts. But uh, tell me about the immersion series, which kind of married this video game and and live action short thing into uh, an increasingly hilarious series of misadventures.
1: Well, that was kind of fun. That was had this idea that we could take things from video games and test them in real life. And I had the idea for a while, and eventually I said, you know what, I should make one of these because someone else is going to do this if we don't. And that's a big thing on the Internet, man. It seems like by the time you think of an idea, you should go look it up because somebody's probably already done it, Mm -hmm. you know, if things move that fast. And so this, this idea, this probably gives you a good example of what the whole series was about. When you play a Grand Theft Auto game or one of those open world or urban environment games. When you drive a car, you drive from a third-person perspective. Your your view of the car is behind the car, mm-hmm. and that's not the way you drive a car in the real world. So we thought, okay, let's try that. Let's set up a car in real life that is a third-person perspective. So we blacked out the windshield, safety first, uh, and blacked out the entire cockpit and then suspended a camera on a rig behind the vehicle. And then ran that down to a monitor that was on the dashboard of the car. So you're in the car, driving it through a course, and you're looking at the car from behind. Your view is from behind the car. And we shot that episode. It took us about six hours to shoot the pilot, um, the driving part of it. And then we spent another four hours out there afterwards because everyone on the crew wanted to drive the car. It was a <laughs> blast. We had a blast doing it, it was great. It, it
0: reminds me there was a guy there was a, uh, it was more of an art project than anything else, but there was a guy who built an MMO suit that did uh, sort of the same thing. but it was just a, it was just a person in a, in a suit where you have a helmet that has a monitor built into it. There's a rig that's uh, that worn like a backpack that suspends the camera above and behind to give that, that MMO view of a character running around the world. So the only view you had of yourself was as a third person. And, of course, they, he added spikes on the helmet to give it that authentic MMO feel. And uh, apparently anyone who put this on would first spend the first, like, half hour struggling to interact with the world in a way that wasn't going to feel like it was going to kill them because it was so weird to be have an out-of-body experience like that. And then the next half hour was spent stomping around and swinging your arms around because you'd look like the Incredible Hulk.
1: <laughs>
0: so, yeah. yeah.
1: Walk up to people and ask them for quests.
0: Right, exactly, yes. That
1: was a side effect of it.
0: Yeah, that was, yeah. No, there are people who are still in therapy because of that art
1: project. Uh, yeah, so We did a fun one like that where we tested what it would be like to be in a side-scrolling environment where <laughs> we, had, we had a wireless rig that we could send a video signal to, to goggles that the person would wear. And we shot them from a 90 degree angle directly from their side. And so we had like a Mario course that these guys had to navigate while only being able to see themselves from the side.
0: So, so what short straw did Gus and Jeff draw that they have to be in all of these?
1: They drew the academic short straw. They should have just been better in school. <laughs> and, and they would have better career opportunities and they wouldn't have to be subjected to all this terrible stuff. We we got to the point where we were torturing them. I think, I mean, we we did this one thing where we tested video game foods. You know, when you're playing a video game and your character is hurt, if he eats a steak, then he immediately feels better. I don't know what they think the healing properties of food are, right? In video games, so we took them out. We didn't tell them this. We took them out drinking till two in the morning, and. To celebrate something, it was all a ruse. And then the next day, we showed up with the production crew at their house at five in the morning. They just, I mean, they literally just gone to bed. So they were, woke up and they were just miserable. And we just like fed them food for about an hour and a half big hams and pizzas and <laughs> strawberries, everything you see in a game that is supposed to cure you. And let's just put it this way it did not cure them <laughs> their ailments.
0: Yes, to learn more, visit <laughs> Rooster Teeth's website and you can watch all of these or get the DVDs. Uh, if you want to be able to have them for posterity's sake. Uh, well, let's also talk, there's another another uh, project, Achievement Hunter, which is, again, hosted by Rooster Teeth, which is all about uh, achievements on Xbox 360 games, although you guys also cover other games occasionally as well, right?
1: Yes, uh, we cover, it's, it, the, the achievement focus does seem to make it seem, as, although achievements are bleeding into mobile games and Steam games as well, um, it does seem to th- think it's like a 360, uh, site, but no, they cover all different games. Like, they've been covering a lot of the Star Wars Old Republic MMO lately. Mm-hmm. But, um, it's just, it's a celebration of video game culture, which, which we love. We love online culture and video game culture. And we're, we're actually ha- holding a convention, uh, in Austin this year, RTX, which is the intersection of gaming and online culture. But Achievement Hunter has been a huge, huge success. Um, it's just been, it's something that, you know, we kind of kicked around for a while of, you know, recording actual gameplay from, uh, or footage from gameplay of uh, video games and then commenting on it. And, uh, we, we, Jeff Ramsey, who plays Griff in our Red vs. Blue series, he headed up, he headed up the project and he, it's just been, man, it's been an enormous thing. We're about to hit, uh, one billion total views on YouTube across all of our videos. Wow. And Achievement Hunter's been a huge part of that.
0: That is incredible, and I, I also should add the, the success of Rooster Teeth has been truly phenomenal and that your effect, you know, you, you guys talk about how you uh, have absorbed video game culture, but you've also become part of it. I mean, you, you several people from Rooster Teeth have been uh, featured in games as voiceover talent and other things. Can you talk a little bit about some of those?
1: You know, we actually are trying to go through and compile a list of, uh, the places where Rishi's has been referenced or Rivers of Blue has been referenced. Um, just in, uh, most recently, um, there's a, there's a reference in, uh, the World of Warcraft expansion, mm-hmm. uh, where there's a, I forget the name of the thing, but it's essentially like a parody of Blood Gulch and there's a character in there that's based on Griff, um, uh, in there. And then we just did a, a, a like a commentary, a bonus commentary for Gunstringer. Mm-hmm. Uh, twisted Pixel. And then we always, its the funny thing is we always end up in achievements, references and achievements. Like there's a lot of red versus blue referential achievements. Um, there's one in Gears of War. Um, there's a dishwasher, uh, Samurai Dishwasher. They just put out a new version of the game that has the Caboose's achievable system nice. <laughs> as, part, as part of the game. Bleep and bleep. Then one of the coolest things ever is that we got to be voices in Halo 3. I mean, that was, that was an honor to actually participate in the game that we're obviously such huge fans in.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's pretty incredible. That's like a full circle right there.
1: Well, when we started Red vs. Blue, I mean, when you have your you know your your initial meetings and you know you're talking about, well, what's the coolest thing that could happen? I mean, we thought the coolest thing that could happen by far was that we somehow get referenced in an actual Halo video game or like some kind of Easter egg, because Bungie uh, has always pretty put Easter eggs in their games and. Getting getting to play Marines and you know contribute our voices to the game that was just that was nuts.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic that uh, that that turned out that way. Especially that Bungie ended up being such fans of your work because <laughs> if it had gone another way, especially when we see things like uh, on tech stuff, we talk about a lot of stuff like uh, uh, intellectual property and patent wars and about this sort of litigious side to a lot of companies. Uh, it could have gone. A totally different way. It could have been that one episode went up, and then you got a cease and desist, and then no more opportunity. So I'm so glad that this was a case where a company said, "No, they're they're adding benefit to what we do. We enjoy their work. We want to see them succeed."
1: Well, I mean, I think that would be what you're saying about the episode going up and then it gets pulled down. I think a lot of people would say that is the expectation of what would happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly, that was in our minds as we were doing it. And um, you know, I can't speak for. Them, you know, the, why they made the decisions they made, but I mean, you know, Microsoft took a look at it and said, you know, here's something that's innovative and creative, and let's see what happens, you know. And that's that was the attitude they took. Like, let's let's just go forward and see where this goes. And I met with them and told them, you know, here's the plans for what I want to do with it. More importantly, here's what we're not trying to do. Um, you know, we're just trying to have some fun and, and do something. And we're huge fans of Halo. and Um, you know, let's see what happened, turned into a three-year relationship and has now turned into a 10-year relationship. So I can't, I cannot say enough good things about the, uh, risk that Microsoft took on us and how much that has meant to our business because they have been very open and, and very cool.
0: Fantastic. Well, I, I have just two more questions. Uh, here's the second to last one. This was one that was suggested by a, uh, a follower of mine on Twitter. Um, how frequently are you mistaken as the guy who does the voice for Caboose?
1: <laughs> all, all—it's so insulting. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, Caboose is easily our most popular character, and uh, you know it's uh, whenever we go to conventions, it's oh here's Bertie, he plays the—he's uh, the writer and director and creator of the show and, and plays the the lead character because I write it. Of course, I make myself the lead character, and like, hey, that's great. Where's Caboose? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and often it's like it's not so much getting mistaken for caboose, it's the it's the raw disappointment that you see in people's faces when they realize that you're not caboose. That's the <laughs> problem. That's I, when you have the gut check as an artist.
0: I um no, I I can sort of identify with that because <clears throat> a couple years ago, not so much now, but a couple years ago I, I bore a passing resemblance to Jamie Heineman of uh, Mythbusters.
1: I can see that. I can, now that you say that, yeah, I can see that. So yeah, it's, I, I
0: I have different glasses now. The glasses apparently are what made it. Uh, but I had two people within the span of a week make that that comment to me, and uh, DragonCon, which uh, some Rooster Teeth people have been to in the past. But DragonCon here in Atlanta uh, was hosting several members of the Build team. Uh, from Mythbusters as guests. And so I thought, oh, this will be fun. I'll go and buy a military beret. I'll wear an Oxford shirt and I'll just show up as Jamie. I'm clearly, I'm clearly not Jamie, but that's going to be my costume. And, um, then I discovered the joy and, and, and heartbreak of revealing to people that I was not actually Jamie from Mythbusters and see that moment of realization where their, their joy turned to disappointment. Uh, I actually disappointed an entire battalion of the 401st Stormtrooper Brigade. That was... <laughs>
1: <laughs> you never want to piss off armored people with guns.
0: No, no. But it is funny to watch them all, like, deflate at the same time. Yeah, it was, that's true. It kind of made you feel like what it would have been like to be on Coruscant when they revealed that the Death Star had exploded. <laughs> Just...
1: Uh. I guess it's
0: over. Yeah, guys. All right. You know, we had a good run. Uh, So here's my last one. Are there any other projects that you're working on that you would like to talk about? We've talked about the live action stuff and Red vs. Blue and RTX. Is there anything specific you would like to to mention to our listeners?
1: Well, yeah, it's a crazy thing. Um, It's it's, it's pretty irreverent. Uh, It's a lot different tone uh, than this interview even, but... Our podcast on that, that's on iTunes is the Rooster Teeth podcast has actually turned into one of our biggest hits. Um, and we, I, I just love making it. We just talk about, we just get on mic and talk for an hour about, you know, what's going on, you know, with video games, what's going on with online culture, what's going on, you know, in current events and, you know, and our interpretation of it, which is basically our misunderstanding of it, of it all. <laughs> uh, and it's just fun. It's just, you know, working at Rooster Teeth and it's, it's a bunch of friends working together. And so, Uh, It's fun to get on there for an hour and just jaw with your buddies. And, um, you know, we're working on some ways to, uh, punch up the podcast and maybe change the way we deliver it a little bit. Um, but we're really looking forward to this year to, uh, growing the podcast and also, uh, bringing people out to Austin July 7th and 8th for RTX, which is our convention here. Uh, we're really excited about that.
0: Fantastic. And yes, I, I am also a fan of your podcast. And I should mention that both the Rooster Teeth podcast and tech stuff were mentioned as the rewind best of 2011 on iTunes. Yeah, baby. Yeah. So we've got, we've got that in common going for us. Yeah. The, the show that you guys do is, is incredibly hilarious. Um, especially if you can get one of the more clueless members of Rooster Teeth <laughs> on mic.
1: It's
0: not hard. (laughs) Or, or, you know, or just Joel. If Joel's on there and, and all you have to do is say one thing and you realize that he's gone off on a completely different tangent and he's really angry about it for no apparent reason.
1: For no apparent reason. Now you can see why he plays the voice of Caboose. Yes.
0: Before we hear the rest of the interview with Mr. Bernie Burns, let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. Well, Bernie, this has been a great time. It's it's been uh, one of those things I've always wanted to do. Like I said, I've been a fan of the show from season one, and I'm glad we had this opportunity. And we did do an episode on Tech Stuff about Machinima. Uh, Oh, I guess that was one of our first episodes. We're coming up on... Uh, episode four hundred before too long, so wow. yeah, yeah, people are still listening. So uh, this was really we we talked a lot about Red versus Blue in our Machinima podcast. So this was really a, a, a thrill for me. Thank you so much for joining us, and we really do appreciate it, guys. If you have not checked out Rooster Teeth, I do recommend you go and and look at their stuff, watch some Red versus Blue, watch some of their live action, and uh, and really pay attention because these guys have found a way. Before almost anyone else did, to make new media work in a sustainable way and build a business out of it, and that—that that to me is probably the best story, out of all of this—is that not only do you guys create great content, but you found a way to make that, you know, pay for itself and and to actually keep it going over time and not just be wow, that was incredible. I just wish they could have found a way to make it work.
1: Yeah, you wow, why you make it sound so legitimate? I'm going to record that and play it back at dinner parties. <laughs>
0: Alright, you have my permission to do that. That's fine. Especially if you, if you, if you, uh, um, subscribe to tech stuff. That would, that would help us out because, you know, every listener counts. You got it. Alright, awesome. Thank you so much, Bernie.
1: Thank you very much, Jonathan. Appreciate it. After having done that episode on Machinima, uh, a while back uh, it was nice to have uh, the perspective of somebody who's really involved with it
0: yeah someone who's actually gone through and done it it was that was a a, a real thrill for me as well just to hear about You know, experimenting with this new form of media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's also very exciting. So, guys, we're hoping we can do more of these, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, I was really surprised. I just wanted to say, I was really surprised by uh, how
1: similar it was to live action in some respects. Yes. Um, You know, of course, they have to use tricks or had to use tricks, uh, especially in the beginning. Yeah. But uh, I was, I was surprised. Yeah,
0: lining up shots and things like that. Yeah, there's stuff that you wouldn't think about when you're playing a video game. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, we totally could tell a story like this. Mm -hmm. Well, if you don't have that that background where you know how to line up shots and yeah. you know the importance of that mm-hmm. kind of composition, then you might make something that's amusing, but you're not necessarily going to make something that's that's going to last a long time. Yeah. But these guys had not just the the writing talent, but also the the technical talent mm-hmm. to create a compelling looking shot using, let's be honest, very limited tools. Yes. I mean, the mm-hmm. video game is not designed to give you a lot of flexibility. So. Hats off to them. And of course, now a lot of those tools have been built into those video games. Yes. So that you can have a free-floating camera that has no limitations and you can put it anywhere you want, which now you've got more options than any any live-action director would have without the use of, of CGI. I hope you guys enjoyed that classic episode of Tech Stuff. And thanks once again to Mr. Bernie Burns for agreeing to be our experimental guinea pig test subject with a... Uh, the first ever interview on Tech Stuff. It was intimidating to speak with him. i had such a huge fan of his. I've had the chance to meet him a couple times since then. He's always been incredibly gracious. And Rooster Teeth continues to make really interesting content, both in comedy and in other fields. Uh, They now encompass multiple companies that have been making online content for quite some time. And it ranges from the scripted comedies of things like Red vs. Blue, and then there's the anime series Ruby, which has become a, a real phenomenon for Rooster Teeth. And then they have their unscripted stuff like Achievement Hunter, uh, their various podcasts. So they're really a an online entertainment empire at this point. So if you're not familiar with them, check them out. They probably make something that you like. It may be uh, one of their lesser known series, or maybe you'll end up ending, you know, watching the exact same stuff I watch week after week. I'm still a fan years later. So guys, thanks so much for listening. If you have any suggestions for episodes of Tech Stuff, send them in my way. Use the email address techstuff at howstuffworks.com, or drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle for both of those is techstuffhsw. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, and I'll talk to you again really soon.